Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Journal Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. I have Mitch from Hoops Dissection. How are you doing, man? Pretty good. How's everybody doing out in the audience? I bet you guys are having a good old day. I hope so. Um, I want to have you on. I'm really excited to have you on because, for one, I haven't had a guest in way too long, but um, I'm really excited to get your takes on some of these things. We're going to talk about uh, the All-Star rosters as well as the Rising Stars rosters, our thoughts on that. Uh, a couple of players that we both think should be getting more minutes. And then we have some second half projections for post all-star break. So starting with the all-star rosters, I think honestly, obviously the obvious, I just said that twice, but the obvious thing with the, the all-star rosters, I think uh, is Wiggins being a starter. That's obviously the thing that's being most talked about. Where are you at on Wiggins being an all-star starter this year? I've always had this weird, <clears throat> there's a discrepancy in how the all-star selection is selected in terms of fans, in terms of what they value because you can point to a guy like Trey who this season specifically the Hawks have stunk yet he gets the nod for it because of individual play, but you turn around and you can point to a bunch of other guys that would potentially be more deserving because of team record, because of the way that they've performed even slightly less. So, so I think Wiggins is a great example of what the heck is the criteria within the NBA community for what an all-star starter should be. I know in the grand scheme of things, you and I aren't going to look down the road and look and be like, Oh, Andrew Wiggins is better than this guy all time because of an all-star selection. It's still incredibly frustrating to be one of these guys who are much more deserving, but to see that because some K-pop guy on Twitter got you a bunch of extra votes that all of a sudden you're a starter in an all-star game. Like when you look down the line at what the starting rosters are, it's just seeing Wiggins standing there is probably infuriating. Like, when you look at the East, you see a lineup of KD, Giannis, Embiid, Trey, and DeMar. You think, of course, like, those are some of the best guys currently playing in the East. And then you look at the West, and you see LeBron, Jokic, Curry, Morant, and you're like, boom, star-studded. And then you see Wiggins. And your brain starts to go, how on God's earth is Booker coming off the bench for Andrew Wiggins? How is Luca coming off the bench for Wiggins? How is Cat coming off the bench for Wiggins? So it's just a crazy, the NBA has to eventually figure out, do the fans really truly have the best idea? Or is this just a popularity contest where some celebrity can shut you out and you get in? Yeah, that, that's where I'm at on it too, because I'm like, I'm perfectly fine with it being for the fans. That's how the NBA brands all-star weekend. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm fine with that if that's what we're going to do. but being named an all-star being an all-star starter like those things matter like that has actual like financial implications for these guys yeah so like where i'm at is like you just can't have it both ways like the nba needs to decide whether being named an all-star matters or not and it feels like the incentives to really try for it haven't really been up to par like especially with these max guys if you're looking at an extra like five hundred thousand, it doesn't really move the needle for you like a guy like, like, for example, though, a guy like Garland, that's a huge incentive for you because that boosts your appearance and everything around the league, right, it boosts your pockets, that. which is great. But, you know, to like certain guys, that just doesn't matter. So they're not going to really put the foot on the gas towards the all-star break. It's more of like a, yeah, we're going to come together and have fun kind of thing rather than step on the gas and get, you know, to the top of the top kind of thing. Right. So... I think I, they haven't officially announced all the reserves yet, right? Because of injuries. Uh, officially, there's still some. Like, you got to replace KD. You got to replace Dre. 
Um, and good that those are in the West because there are some guys that deserve to be there. Um, I don't know how they're going to – because it, it comes down to silver to make those decisions. In my to, mind, to them. In my mind it's, it should be Brandon Ingram as the next guy in line because to me, like I would have had Ingram as just a, an all-star in general over Wiggins. Yeah. Um, and I know this might be a little, a little controversial, but in terms of Wiggins even being there, I disagree with, but you could easily point to it and be like, well, Dre's replacement should, should be either DeJounte Murray, whoever you want to throw. I don't think Davis should get in um, regardless of the, the, the second coming as he returns. I don't think Davis deserves the nod. I would not be surprised if he got it though. Considering Adam Silver is going to pick it, it would make sense that he goes with. A, he a, probably wants what's who's going to put the most butts in seats, kind of thing. And Davis, unfortunately, will do that. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's him. But yeah, I would say Dejounte Murray is having a better year than him for sure. Um, and I really think what Ingram's doing has been. I mean, I know the Pelicans stink, but I think he's been having, especially the last month or so, he's been having some great games. Yeah, and especially you can point again. Same kind of criteria. You can be like, well, how come Trey is starting and Ingram doesn't even make the cut when relatively speaking, they're the same team and Ingram is performing marginally worse from a statistical standpoint, but visually he's carrying this, no offense to the Pelicans, shitty roster around him. Like my only argument for Trey though, is that he leads the league and like points responsible for like, if you add, Oh yeah. Um, So like, and the Hawks do have a really good offense. So he is like filling his role to the max, you would say. But um, yeah, I mean, the criteria is pretty inconsistent year to year, it seems. But I want to jump over to the East real quick. I think like the East, they nailed the starters considering that if we're just going to accept that DeRozan is a guard, which is like we could do a whole podcast on. But like, um, I, I think based on the fact that he's a guard, I think they got the starters right. In terms of the okay. reserves, I think. Middleton's probably the only questionable selection for me. I think everyone else is deserving. Um, where are you at? I think the biggest question mark I have is, are we rewarding the fact that the Bucks have had an up and down, a very turbulent year. And I would go as far as to say that Middleton is not even the second most impactful player on the team currently, Mm -hmm. I would give it to drew over Middleton, but not even as in that spot. I think first of all, Jared Allen, if we're talking about guys who are, have really stepped it up. I think Allen's in that discussion. Mm -hmm. I mean, LaMelo's a choice. I think seating wise, that probably is what nicked a bunch of coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's one of those instances where you're like James Harden. Okay. Darius Garland has literally went from the worst player last year in the entire league to an all-star this year. He obviously deserves it. Jimmy missed a little bit of time, but he's Jimmy. He came back and immediately helped Miami sustain that one seed. Zach Levine. My God, the bulls have been insane. You got to give it to Damar and Levine, Freddie. Oh, I'm so happy that he made it. That is just, that is a feel good moment for the entire community. And then Jason Tatum, of course he makes it. He's also been on a tear. And then you look at Middleton and you have to say, like, you can point to a bunch of these reasons, but you're like, Middleton doesn't hit the mark as much as all these guys did this year. Give it to Allen. Give it to LaMelo. Do whatever you want. I mean, like, for for all that is there, give it to Hero for all I care. 
Don't give it to Mets. Now you've gone too far. Now you've gone too far. Just don't give it to Chris. That's all I'll say. Not too far, but yeah, I agree. I think there's a few names you could have had over Milton. Like you said, Jarrett, for sure. I think he definitely – Cavs, I mean, you talk about a team deserving two All-Stars. Cavs definitely meet that criteria to me. Uh, And then, like, I think, you know, given that Tatum's Tatum's in, I don't think Jalen has enough of a case. I think if you just look at him individually, he's having, like, an All-Star type season. But, like, in the larger picture, you just can't give the Celtics two. Yeah. I mean, if – I think same with Siakam, too. You can make a similar case. I think I think the only thing that – hold again, Siakam's missed some time, and right. he's now getting up to speed, which, by the way, I love the fact that the hate is finally dying down on him. I've seen a lot of people refer to him as underrated now. I think he's approaching that term, oh, not like quite, him. but approaching it. But – and I do love Brown. I think he's had a fantastic year – for the most part, but Boston hasn't performed to yeah, they, what they could. They haven't deserved two All Stars for yeah. sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, at large, like I think the All Star rosters are fine. At the end of the day, like five years from now, am I really going to care that Wiggins is an All Star starter? Maybe, maybe a little bit, just because I'm a nerd like that. But like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. So uh, I want to move to the Rising Stars rosters. I uh, just want to touch on those real quick. Honestly, a lot of people refer to the Rising Stars game as, like, the low light of All-Star Weekend. I actually think it's pretty exciting to see these dudes, like, at a big stage like that and just to see what they can do. Um, but I, I just want to read off the rosters real quick and talk about maybe a couple guys I think should have made it. So for the rookies roster, it's Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Josh Giddy, Evan Mobley, Herb Jones, Io DeSunmo. Chris Duarte, Jalen Green, Davion Mitchell, Alperen Sengun, Franz Wagner, and Jalen Suggs. I think, honestly, I think they, they nailed that. Uh, those were probably the 12 guys I would have picked. I think in terms of marketability, in terms of talent-wise, you're not going to find the better 12 rookies to, to, scoop, like, to scoop from. And I think the most ironic part about this entire thing is that if it really came down to rookies versus sophomores, I think this rookie class would dust this sophomore collection right now um, just because of a few outliers on the sophomores. But again, like you said, who else are you swapping in for these 12 guys who have consistently popped up on the rookie ladder anyway? Right, yeah. I, th- I think it's for sure like this is the group of 12. Um, and for the sophomores, the roster is Preston Sachua, Cole Anthony, Desmond Bain, LaMelo Ball, Sadiq Bey, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Tyrese Maxey, Isaac Okoro, Jaden, is it Jaden or Jalen McDaniels on the Timberwolves? Uh, Jaden McDaniels is the Timberwolves. Isaiah Stewart and Jayshon Tate. Uh, So there's there's two guys I have in mind on that sophomore list that I would probably replace with two other guys, but I'll let you go first. What do you think about that that sophomore? That's it. So I don't mean to be a stickler. I'm a Toronto Raptors fan. I love every single guy down our roster, all the way to DJ Wilson. Precious absolutely does not deserve to be here. Uh, he's here positionally because they need bigs for the sophomores. Um, and, and look, it's another instance of what kind of weird criteria are you putting out for the sophomore team? Because in terms of guys who deserve to be here, majority of this list is, is correct. For sure. Like Cole, Bain, Ball, Edwards, Halliburton, Maxi, obviously. I'm torn slightly on Okoro existing here mm. because of how inconsistent he's been, but Cleveland as a whole has been fantastic. So I guess you got to find a way to get him in there. My other big point is Isaiah Stewart. Uh, Detroit has stunk and he has not been 
as good as some other guys, I'll say. Yeah, uh, having three guys on this team is pretty interesting, I think. It is weird to me because I, ag- I agree that Bay should be there and Cade obviously right needs to be there because he's bringing in all the tickets, but it, you, you don't need Isaiah Stewart there. I, I agree that Jason Tate should be there actually. I do. I'm, uh, I like that he's on there. I'm glad. I, I am glad that Houston's getting some love there. And Jaden McDaniels is enough of a ball stopper that I think he, like you throw him a bone there just because of Minnesota's identity. And they've been a really good defensive team lately. So that like this is just some more love. But yeah, sorry, precious. You do you are you are one of the oddest men out on this entire roster. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, you know, they needed a big. Um, but I would have had honestly, I think you could argue a Kongu over Stewart and Precious. I know he hasn't played a lot, he doesn't have the minutes of a lot of these guys, but I think just in terms of how talented he is, I, I think you could definitely make the case of him over those two guys. I think the biggest sort of like leap in a Conway's direction is the fact that he has not only replicated what they needed him to become with everybody out, but he has stepped, I think it, it was a graph of just linear progression between guys who have stepped in for roles for other all-stars being out. And he has been phenomenal. And I understand that sample size is a big thing here, but you got to contextualize what you're actually watching. Like the guy, he was, kind of dismissed for the most part by a lot of fans for where he was selected. And I'm not saying that he's reached those expectations, but he's, he's on the right track to do so. Adam higher than six. He should have went top three. I think, I think, I think, I think comfortably conservatively, he should have been a top five lock. If that four slash five falling to six, I think is a blessing in disguise for the timeline that Atlanta has, because I'm not going to, say that they're not a young team because they are they're an incredibly young team i think an average age of 23 but there's just some guys you point to and be like by the time trey hits his stride are they really gonna be there like collins is already kind of disgruntled with their capella is going to be 28 soon so i mean akon was just he's set up to as soon as trey hits his prime he's going to be the perfect role man next to him and he can do so much more once he's in his prime too and yeah. I love Cooper, but that's for another day. Sharif, I like Sharif. I just don't know if he's an NBA player. <laughs> he is. He's going to be a really right now. No, right now, no. If he's going to be, he's going to be a good one. If that makes any sense, but I just don't know if I mean, he's five eleven. You know, but uh, hey, six foot in shoes. <laughs> they all play in shoes in platforms. Everyone plays in shoes. That doesn't make anyone taller, but. Uh, yeah, just one last thing on Akangu. Um, I think he's going to be really good. I, I think you said it well, how he's going to match up with Trey's timeline really well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he should be he should be playing in this game, in the Clorox Rising Stars game. Especially with, in terms of confidence going forward, a lot of these rookies, once they're in this light, will be like, because I think right now you can point to a couple guys who don't really think they belong in this position. Um I think you look at Sengun, who's had a really hard time just solidifying a spot in Houston. I think being a part of the Rising Stars game will have a lot of confidence boosts coming in. Like, I think you'll see guys like Jalen Green, for example, who's going to be like, okay, I got to get all the noise out of my head and actually focus on the game. I think Suggs is a guy who has been trending in the right direction who will eventually hit that. So we'll get onto those projections later, but I think confidence is a huge key for these games. 
Yeah, I agree. So we'll move on to the next segment. I wanted to talk about a couple of players that I think should be getting more minutes, just guys who aren't in the rotation enough. And uh, the first one, I think it's probably the first one that comes to a lot of people's mind is Cam Reddish on the Knicks. Just, I mean, they traded, they gave up a first round pick for him just to hardly even play him. It's been 10 games since they traded for him and he's played a total of 21 minutes in three of those 10 games. So clearly like Tibbs doesn't really value him as part of the rotation. I wasn't surprised that he didn't play like the first game or two Yeah, that it's Tibbs, but I mean, he's clearly not really going to be in the rotation here. I think for a player who they expect to be a running mate next to Barrett, because it's very quickly becoming RJ's team. um, I think for a guy who could seamlessly fit so much, they need to be in the experimentation realm rather than the let's hold on for dear life for a playing spot realm, because no offense, Knicks and Knicks fans, you have such an amazing city and culture. You can't just lean on that though anymore. We're not in the early nineties where everybody wants to play in the garden. People can play in the garden and away games. So finding your two dynamic scorers at the wing, which we know Reddish can be, we've seen it happen. You need to give him some sort of leeway. You need to give him a little bit extra rope to, to experiment on because you're in a paradigm shift where RJ can be your guy on this team. He needs a running mate and his friend is right there and you weren't playing Knox anyway. So what does it matter? Just, just yeah. come on. I, I don't know. I honestly, I wouldn't be so sure that uh, Cam Reddish is like buddy, buddy with RJ Barrett. I know they went to school together, but it did seem like he wasn't really the biggest fan of being like the third banana at Duke, especially that, you know, he's in a, he was in a similar situation with the Hawks. And now again, it seems like with the Knicks. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't really, obviously I don't know him personally or anything, but um, I don't know. I just think it's something to note, but yeah, the fact that they just aren't giving him minutes, because like you said, there's no sense in just trying to like max out Taj Gibson's minutes so that you can try to snatch the 10 seed. Like you might as well play games, play Cam Reddish, play quickly more minutes, because honestly you might end up winning more games that way anyway. You know what I mean? Like I think Grimes is a guy that could definitely be like getting more consistent minutes and like producing better than like Alec Burks, for example. Yeah. I don't mean to criticize Taj as a, as a, as as an old man, but the thing is, is that, and and you're exactly right. There's no point in holding on to your current rotation that isn't working just so you could try to squeak out three more wins and ruin your pick a little bit more. McBride would be a great guy to see more runs quickly. He needs to have the Brock in his hands a lot more, but it's just not happening. I'm sorry. Fournier and Kemba. I don't know what your deal is there with loving them, Tibbs, but I mean, like they can't be taking minutes over guys like RJ, over guys like Reddish, over guys like quickly and top Toppin, which is supposed to be your combo forward going forward. And the dude sometimes gets nine minutes, sometimes gets a does not play, sometimes gets 11 minutes, sometimes gets three. It's like, what do you expect these guys to develop into if this is how you're managing your rotations? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand. I know Tibbs is a guy that loves to play his vets, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been very surprised at how much he seems to like playing Fournier, playing Kemba. Like I thought when Rose went out that injury that we were going to see a lot more quickly. And I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure his usage is like exactly the same. I thought his usage would skyrocket with Derek going down, and it has been steady, if not declining, with how much the ball is in his hands and operating on the offense. It's. And this is for all you fantasy players out there. Last year, quickly was an absolute steal of a pickup. Oh, I bet I didn't. This play year, 
this year it is so disheartening to see so many guys who were like sleeper picks and guys who you thought had crazy potential just be almost out of rotation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it's like a customary thing to or giving the nods to the old guys, but that's the paradigm that's got to change. Yeah, this, like you said, it's not the '90s anymore. But uh, yeah, so do you have someone in mind that you think should be getting more minutes right now based on where they're at in the rotation? Where they're at, it's so this is one, this one's going to come in a little bias. So a while back, Malachi Flynn's father made some interesting quotes about Nick Nurse and um, how he said that his son was treated worse than a dog. Now, I, I assume a lot of people don't watch the 905 Raptors. But Malachi has struggled a lot. And Delano Banton has been significantly better. So what I'd like to see is Nurse not driving his starting five into the dirt playing 48 minutes and, uh, you know, play Delano Banton and Malachi a little bit because rhythm is such an important thing for a young guy. Uh, I mean, hell, this is a perfect example. Look at Herb Jones on the Pelicans. Mm -hmm. You give him a little more confidence, a little more reps, some more runs, and he produces. You know what you could do to that? You could point to 17 other young guys in the league that just need a chance to prove themselves because you can't, you can't find a rhythm if you're playing six minutes one night and then zero the next, like there's just no way. So two guys on the Raptors, great choice. I know this is a little nitpicky because I'm not a huge Sacramento fan, but Davion Mitchell has just exploded now that he's been given, not the keys. He's given a temporary key to the offense right now next to Halliburton and he's produced. So I, I don't mean to dismiss Fox, but Mitchell should be getting more runs as the third guard in that rotation. And I get it's hard because the Kings are in a weird spot. But, I mean, come on, throw the kid a bone. So to, to touch on the Raptors real quick, I really like Banton. He's, he was one of those guys that leading up to the draft, like there was like four or five guys that in the last week before the draft I had just like discovered just because like some dude on Twitter was really high on him or something. Yeah. So I didn't really know about Banton until like the very end, but he's someone I'm really intrigued in. I think, especially on the Raptors too. Like I'm really intrigued by what Nick Nurse could do with him. Um, yeah, like trust me, I know the 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 confidence very well. Just watching Aaron Neesmith get like six minutes one game and then two straight DNP, and then destroy in the G League, and then everybody's like, "No, we're not bringing you up." And it's like, yeah, he'll go for a thirty a thirty piece in the G League come up for a week, play about six minutes, miss his first shot, get benched. And then it's just like, there was a week I was watching him where I think he will for the week, he was averaging 24, six and four on something like a 66 true shooting percentage, but most of them were coming from three. And then the next game, after all these people on Twitter were like, wow, oh, well, you know, they don't really need a spot up shooter on Boston, which newsflash, they do. Oh, they do. But, More than one, actually. But then he just becomes an insane slasher who dabbles in a little bit of playmaking. And it's like, dude, you know what this guy's capable of? Give him a little more leeway to run. And just, I'm not going to point out any names, but there have been some people in social media who um, now believe that this Celtics offense is all of a sudden miraculously opened up and that it's their uh, defense that is uh, taking the hits when the literal polar opposite of that take has happened. If you want to say names, I will. Um, Ball don't stop. Mr. I don't watch games. Ball don't stop has said, yes, the offense is so much more fluid now. And and the Jays are capable of combining for 80. And it's like, actually everybody's bought in defensively. It's the offense that has suffered greatly. And you know, who would alleviate a bunch of those problems 
even if a little bit, Naismith, because he's a creator, because he's a shooter, because he's a shot taker. And then the fact that the paradigm is just, no, it's the offense that is greatly improving. It's like, watch some Celtics games, people. Come on. Yeah, yeah I could I could do a whole podcast <laughs> on Paul Don't Stop, man. He oh, my goodness. He really provides me, like, so much entertainment. <laughs> but I, I have one more guy that I want to talk about uh, that I think should be getting more minutes. It's Jose Alvarado of the Pelicans. He He's on a two-way right now still, if I believe, but he needs to be converted to a full contract as soon as possible. Um, this guy's only getting 11 minutes per game. He's played 30 minutes once in the 24 appearances that he has. And, I mean, this dude, like, he's one of those guys where he's not putting up big box score numbers, but you just have to watch him play for five minutes and you can go, yeah, this guy's making an impact. Yeah. The thing is, this is kind of weird. With with six-foot guards and six-foot-one guards especially, there is, like, growing pains that you expect to see where they get swallowed up by the defense where, you know, they make, like – interesting decision after interesting decision that doesn't lead to anything. I do not see those kinds of blips and bumps with Jose. And the, this is the other thing guys approaching the deadline. You're going to see a lot of two way guys get converted to uh, like standard contracts mm-hmm. and David Johnson, Justin Champagne, hopefully Alvarado. I'm not going to make any guarantees just because of the Pelicans and their terrible management. But this is a guy who can not just be a spark plug off the bench. Eventually I'd like to see him at least 25 minutes a game deep into the season because Pelicans aren't doing nothing. And this guy would be such a bright spot, not just for the fans, but for the actual like morality of a team. Yeah. There was, there was a short stretch there, like towards the end of December where I thought the Pelicans were streaking and they're going to come for that 10 seed because it seemed like no one wanted it, but um, yeah, they're, they're not really going anywhere this season and they could definitely use like w- what I think Alvarado could be. I think it's something the Pelicans could definitely use, like when Zion comes back and they're at full strength. Um, so yeah, I mean, he he should definitely be converted to a full full contract, and he needs more than eleven minutes per game. I know they have a lot of guards on the Pelicans, but I mean, he's been playing better than you could you could make the argument he's been their best guard in the last few weeks. Yeah, and I don't mean to say like again, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Everybody's in love with him. People are still holding hope for Kira Lewis Jr. when he's healthy that he's going to be the next big piece for them but you're not in a spot where experimentation is going to hurt you if you're the pelicans so give the guy a little extra run and see what he does and if you're impressed by it of course convert him to a normal contract what you can't do is let this guy basically fizzle out into a g league and then let another team like for example orlando pick him up for a regular contract or the kings pick him up for a regular contract because that's what these other teams will do they'll see that you're not wanting to care enough to sign into a real contract and then next thing you know he's playing for the lakers or something yeah i mean and you would think that a franchise that drafted a a 23 year old in the top 40 of the draft and then played him would know that like you got to give guys opportunity but yeah he's getting 11 minutes per game um, he's only really started to play recently, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes for the rest of the year. All right. So last segment, just to wrap up this pod, I want to just talk about a couple of projections that we have for the second half of the season, some post all-star break stuff. Uh, we actually, we had the same thing. We talked about it before we started recording. We had the same idea in mind here. So I'll let you, uh, I'll let you start this one off. Uh, you already know where we're going with this one. But. Gotcha. So what I will do is not eat up the entire Uh, section about Jalen Green but first things first anybody out there making these redrafts and inexplicably putting Jalen outside of the top five you need to calm down let these guys develop a little bit it's interesting to note 
that Jalen Green right now is mirroring the production of Anthony Edwards last year before the All-Star break. Drives are relatively the same. Percentages for shooting are relatively the same. Finishing at the rim, relatively the same. Even shot attempts within zero to four feet are exactly the same. There was a lot. I'm not going to compare them physically because Edwards is a tank compared to the wiggle of Jalen Green. But you got to think, if these trajectories are just a mental blip, Jalen Green, who already personifies confidence in the most ridiculous of ways, I'm not going to get into some of the audacious things that he's attempted, but just the very fact that these guys were playing relatively similar post-All-Star break, something clicked, and I think that something is a little more control and maturity. Post-All-Star break, I think Jalen Green is going to explode. I'm not going to have any predictions about climbing the rookie ladder because Cade Cunningham has essentially locked that top three spot up right now, and God knows what Scotty Barnes does, and Evan Mobley's still there. But Jalen Green potentially can make a run for that, and I think with how bad Houston is, they're not going to limit him in any terms of play. They're going to let him play through the growing pains because that's what you do when you're a bad team. But keep your eye on Jalen Green. That's all I'll say. I do worry a little bit, though, and I'm not going to pretend like I watch a ton of the Rockets, but I have watched a few of their games, and it seems like Jalen Green does a lot of standing in the corner for what I'd like. And you're I, right. I, I don't know exactly how much of that is like Silas's fault there or like I'm not exactly sure but he just he's not involved enough on the ball as much as I would like so my biggest gripe with Houston as a whole and this doesn't just fall on Green or Kevin Porter they sort of lack an identity and not just an identity as in like oh they're really good at defense or they've got the number one pace or really good at contesting three-pointers in the corner no the idea is that they don't seem like they're bought into an idea as a team. And Jalen green is a huge griping point about that. He ball watches sometimes when he's not involved in a play, you can see him just like, as if he's spaced out and he's just like, Oh, that's right. Somebody took a shot and we got the rebound. Maybe I'll get the ball next. And I think it's the the huge lack of Kevin Porter jr. Is either this almighty floor general or his eyes are closed. He's got a blindfold on and he's chasing his own offense. It's such a weird thing to watch. And I'm not going to point to the coaching because there's only so much you could do with this roster, honestly, but something's got to change. And I don't think you move on from anybody right away, but you got to, there's got to be a locker room meeting and be like, all right, guys, what the hell's going on? Yeah, Kevin Porter Jr. is infuriating to watch sometimes. <laughs> he is so talented, but then there's other times where it just makes me think of like Westbrook. It's just like, what are you doing, man? You know, like you just, I don't know, but, um, I lost my train of thought for a second. We were talking. Oh, Jalen Green. Yes. Um, I think like, it's not surprising to me when I saw like the stats that compare Jalen Green and Anthony Edwards, like pre All Star break. They're very like similar player types. And obviously, Anthony Edwards athletically is huge. Like you said, compared to especially compared to Jalen Green, but the play types are very similar. So I guess it's not it's not surprising to see those stats, but just like the play players that they are. Like it should be expected that they were going to come into the league as inefficient shot truckers. You know what I mean? So the idea that, like you said, to do a redraft and just not even consider Jalen Green for like a top five spot, it's like, what did you expect? Like, what were you anticipating from Jalen? Yeah, yeah. Especially on this Rockets team, too, because like you said, it, it's really, it's like 12 guys. It's not really a basketball team. It's just like 12 dudes who are all wearing the same uniform. So, like, I don't, I don't really know what was to be expected of him. And I do think that in the second half, we're going to see, because like you said, the maturity 
and just playing NBA basketball. Like, I don't really think people realize what it means to just play NBA minutes and what that does for your development. Just straight up just playing more. It's the people who had such crazy lofty expectations of him initially that really anger me because they were like, oh, he's going to come in and average 22 and he's going he's, he's gonna to put up all these crazy stat lines. It's like, listen, when you put those expectations on the guy and he sees those because that was all over social media, you got to think it wears on you when you're not living up to them. When everybody talks about your potential scoring leading year in a couple of years when they think that by the time you turn 22 you'll be one of the top five offensive threats in the league you got to think that weighs on you so if he was able to just zoom out for a sec and separate all the social media noise i think he'd be great i think in controlled he's going to be one of the better rookies period we've just yet to see that kind of thing right and i think just someone who plays like Jalen green does someone who's so score first and someone that like relies on their athleticism to create their shots. Like no, no matter where he went, it was going to take time. You know, yeah. like that type of player just needs time to adjust to NBA level athletes, NBA level defense and scheming. Like he, it was, unless he was going to be quite literally like generational, like Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant type shooting guard. Like he was not going to come in day one and just be like a, like you said, a 22 point per game scorer. Yeah. What I see his biggest issue right now aside from the tunnel visioning aside from the ignoring pick and roll targets aside from the easy sprays to the corner it's just the fact that he's not used to guys not only beating him to his spots Mm -hmm. meeting him at the rim meeting him five feet from the basket there have been so many possessions where i could point to and and I, i love this kind of example because it's terrible where Robert Williams has slid with him to the basket, forced him baseline, forced him to take a turnaround over the left shoulder jumper. And then Jalen Green's brain short circuits because he's like, this guy is five inches taller than or seven inches taller than me, 120 pounds heavier than me, but slid with me all the way to the basket, forced me behind the backboard and then didn't give me enough space to take a jumper. And that's the problem everybody's capable of doing that. He he's in the 99th percentile basically of running up to athletes who can now slide with him. When I was watching him on ignite, a lot of the big offensive cornerstones of his were because the guy jumping with him didn't have the mobility to block shots left and right. You're not running into that anymore. You're running into guys who are very quickly, like when he was up against Pascal, I've never seen a man be un, be so uncomfortable doing his everyday movements just because this guy is long and fast and versatile. And there's, there's one of those guys on every single team in the league, essentially. So Jalen green. Yes. There's growing pains. Don't worry about them. Houston's not trying to be good. Right. Just let him grow. Let him develop. Stop putting him outside of the top 10 on redrafts. That's a dumb idea. Yeah. That's, that's the thing with, uh, with like scouting players like coming into the draft is that there is nothing that compares to NBA length and NBA defense. Like there's just no league out there that is giving you those type of looks. And so like, for like for Jalen green, when I had him, the way I do like scouting reports, when I like draw my big board and stuff, is like, I put all the you know information, whatever height, weight, wingspan, all that stuff. And then I have one big column with like pros and one big column with cons. And for both of those columns for Jalen green, I put, he's the best athlete he's ever played against. Because, yes, obviously being the athlete that he is is a benefit, but it, it got to the point where he's never faced anyone who, like you said, could slide with him, especially guys who are bigger than him, guys that can meet him at the rim and contest his shots. So, like, 
it's such an adjustment for someone like Jalen Green to come to the NBA and be the same player that he was all throughout high school, all throughout you know his ignite time. So, yeah, like you said, give him time. Once he adjusts to the NBA, he's going to be a good scorer. Like there's there's no doubt that he has the skill. He just needs more reps, just more time to see NBA defense. So yeah, I think I think we have everything on Jalen Green. Um, the other one that I had in mind, uh, just for a second half rejection. I do think that this recent stretch of Celtics basketball is legit. I know that they played the Kings and then I know that they played the Wizards, but I do think that they're starting to turn a corner a little bit. Um, they have the best defense like by far in the last like 15 games or so. Um, and I think like coming into the season, like a week before the season, I was pr- relatively low on the Celtics. Like I thought they'd be roughly where they are now, like maybe a couple games above 500 trying to avoid the playing tournament. And then like the last few days leading up to the start of regular season, when I was doing predictions, I being the Celtics fan that I am, I sold myself that they were going to be like the three seed. Um, <laughs> I was like, Oh, it's wide open. Like the, they'll get there. Um, which yeah, it's not happening, but I do think that they're starting to turn things around. I think now that this like COVID era seem is seemingly over and guys are like, actually we're playing with the same lineups game to game for the most part. I do think that the defense is really starting to like turn the corner and be the type of team that they expected to be when they put this roster together. Now the offense still has a long way to go. (laughs) Paul don't stop comments aside. Um, But I do think that in the second half of the season, we're going to see a much better Celtics team. From what I've watched of Boston, it's become abundantly clear that Dennis Schroeder is not a guy that can play basketball for a team that's competent. And I'm sorry for people who have faith in him, but what has become abundantly clear is that Tatum has completely, he's entered the realm and I'm going to be a little promiscuous when I say this, he's entered the realm where he can very easily next year be labeled a superstar, be labeled a top 11 slash 12 guy in the league and produce superstar numbers. Mm -hmm. All these people. and, And I think that the big striking point is, Oh, Jalen Brown is such a similar player to Tatum. When you look at the archetype, yes, overhead, sure. But that's generalizing so much of what they do. There are so many things that they complement each other in that you can't just say that they're the same player. I'd like to first point to Tatum's newfound ability because this existed last year, but not to this extent. He can like genuinely operate in the pick and roll now. Yes, He can genuinely make sprays to the corners over either shoulder, which usually like guard sized wings develop those kinds of things down the line. The fact that he's developing them now is like scary to even think about, but the interior little pocket passes where he's like seven feet from the basket and he gets an up fake and gets it to Robert Williams. It's just my favorite place to watch. That's that's the thing. It's it's Tatum is quickly becoming this amalgamation of a superstar and people are sleeping on it because of Jalen Brown, because of how you guys buy into a defensive scheme. I think next year, everybody's going to be in a, like they're going to be acting like this kind of resurgence came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But Tatum's going to be there. Tatum's going to be an all NBA level, level player for sure next year. He's there now, but in terms of popularity, he's not going to. Right. Like it's a, it's a stupid way that people do it, but they're going to be like, Oh, because they're so low, he doesn't deserve to be on the third team. But any, my, my big point is that Tatum is here at superstardom and people are overlooking it because of how the Celtics are doing. If they turn the corner, come the all-star break, you'll start seeing people be like, Oh my God, Jason Tatum's a top 15 player. It's like, yeah, he's yeah. been doing this. You're just now realizing it. 
he did he did have a really inefficient start to the season, which I think has a lot to do with like the narrative forming around him right now. Um, I, I like what you said about Schroeder. He's definitely entered the realm of like cannot predict for a good team. Like he can give you stats just objectively, like we'll just put in the box score numbers, but just cannot operate successfully on like a winning team. It's just not gonna happen. Um, but yeah, hopefully we turn him to like a second round pick or something. But yeah, the, the evolution of Tatum has been really fun to watch. Obviously, as someone who is like putting their entire fandom in his superstar development, um, like his progression specifically as a playmaker has been very exciting to watch just because it's something that he's going to need to get like to a higher level if he's going to be that superstar player that leads the Celtics to a title. So yeah, he's gone from someone that like at Duke and as a rookie, he dribbled more than two times in a row. His head was down and he was going to the rim or he had made his decision once he made that second dribble to now where he, like you said, he can legitimately run pick and roll. He can legitimately be someone who like runs offense for the Celtics. May 6th of last year. I made a little tiny dissection video of Jason Tatum. And my big thing was the, at the time I had him as the 19th best player in the league, mostly because there were little splits of tunnel vision in the bubble. There was a million examples. If it, if it had not been for how shitty Pascal was, I, I think that there were some, there were some times where Boston cost them very valuable possessions just by careless turnover pass. That wasn't there. The fact that in a seven month span, he's legitimately become such a literally a point forward. And that's what people don't understand. It's not just flashes of passing. It's genuine playmaking. It's moved far past the little easy reads. He's making advanced reads. He's making reads that we saw. And I know this is going to be a little promiscuous. A lot of people are going to be angry that I'm going to say this, if they hear this eventually, we're seeing the same types of reads that a 23 year old LeBron James is making. And I listen, listen, I know, I know that's going to be a promiscuous take, but we're seeing Tatum go so far above the cat and mouse chess game where he, he sees the advanced. There have been so many plays where he'll have Marcus Smart trailing a drag screen. He'll see Jalen Brown cutting. And the first instinct is, how am I going to get this pass into Robert Williams? It's not going to be, how am I going to spray Smart in the corner? It's going to be, how am I going to get an up fake? How am I going to get somebody to draw from the corner? And he's picking apart these so well, while also being a superstar scorer. Hello, people. Like, this is the thing that people don't understand about the Celtics. You guys are a point guard away from threatening everybody in the East. It's just unfortunate that you have Dennis on your roster right now. It is. It is. But yeah, Tatum has legitimately gone from someone who, like I said, was head down on every single drive to the basket to then being someone who knew, like was taught to make specific reads on specific plays. And when he sees specific looks from defenses to now he's at the point where he's manipulating the defense. Like he's creating looks out of what the defense gives him. So I really like that. You just dropped that little LeBron piece in there. I'm probably going to put this and like post that. (laughs) Listen, and this is coming from a Toronto fan, so I have no reason to like Boston whatsoever. This is just my appreciation for Tatum. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably getting clipped and then thrown on Instagram. <laughs> is there anyone else uh, that you want to talk about for a second half uh, projection? Anyone you think is going to have a good second half, a team or player? Personally, there I've got two people in, well, two, a team and a guy in mind. Initially, I was going to say Suggs, and I'm going to stick with Suggs, but I want to have a huge asterisk above what Orlando's doing. It's looking like Fultz is going to make his return sometime in March or April. I was reading some reports where he's doing actual, like, everyday things. And at that point, if you're as hungry as he is, you're going to do everything you can to get on the court again. Right. Orlando is in a weird spot for guards. 
You've got Suggs, Fultz, Hampton, Cole, and Gary Harris. I know he plays the two more, but he's another guard. So you've got all these guys that you need to decide what your pecking order is. And I'm not even going to go with Bamba and Winnicott Jr. Because that's just a huge mess to figure out there. (laughs) But I think think if Suggs can continue to improve, you got to see what he's capable of two or three years down the line. You got to give him the keys to orchestrate your offense because yes, he's a high turnover prone guy who is making all the right reads. They're just not going through because of the difference in athleticism, the difference in reads and from the college game to here. And I, I, I hate to be this guy, but Franz might genuinely be the more talented guy that you want to build around there. I'm sorry, Suggs, but like, like you said, like we don't want to, especially with guards, you don't want to make judgments too early, but as someone who didn't really like Franz, like I think I barely had him ranked as like a first round guy. Uh, yeah. He just might flat out be better than Suggs. <laughs> we'll see. But... Uh, this is kind of disrespectful. I had him at like 15th, like 14th, like just my twenties. Like... Right. Like I had him like, just like, nah, in terms of guys available might take a bid on him kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But Franz might genuinely be more like the most talented rookie that they have on that roster even in terms of other guard, like I love Hampton, but I'm more I married to the idea of Hampton rather than the actuality of him as a player. And false is very volatile. I think Cole Anthony is a guy that you want long-term, but who knows, honestly, it's just tough because of that group between Cole Suggs, Hampton and faults. I don't think you can keep all four of them. Like I don't see a world in which they develop all four of them properly. And that's like their guard rotation. You know and unfortunately, I, mean? I think you can only keep two. If you're really, I think you can get away with three if you can develop Markel to be someone who plays the two, because if true, let's say, let's say they end up keeping Cole and Suggs, they develop the way that like we project them to um, Hampton just sort of fizzles out and they use Markel mostly as a two. I think Cole and Suggs both can get to the point where they're good enough shooters, where that works as a backward because defensively, I think false can absolutely play the two and just having like multiple playmakers out there. I think, I think that, you know, that's the strategy I think they should go with, just multiple wall handlers. Um, I think it could work. And then you have, like, Cole Anthony as, like, a six-man in that situation, I think. I think three is that you're hoping to God that one of them is comfortable playing the backup position. Um, yeah, that, okay, yeah, that's a great point, yeah. I think Hampton is the odd I, – I, I don't mean to, like, diss any of them because, again, it's the potential, it's the rawness that you could potentially get out of these guys. But I think Hampton becomes the odd man out there. If yeah, Fultz is capable of becoming a two. Yeah, Hampton just clearly has the lowest floor just based on what he's produced at this point in the NBA. I think I was really high on him coming into the draft. I think he was like really improperly used with the New Zealand Breakers the year before the draft. I think he has a lot of talent. I think he's a wild card. But yeah, definitely seems like the odd man out, at least to this point. And a team that I was specifically looking at, and I know that this might, because they're already so high up there, but Memphis finally has everybody healthy and clicking they have jaw has been in and out of consistently being a part of their team jaron jackson jr has figured out that he doesn't have to foul everybody every two seconds and as as much as this is going to pain you as a celtics fan desmond bain has arrived man like this guy could have been so important and integral to this boston team but here he is playing his heart out for memphis so if memphis I, I say makes at least one little over the hump kind of move. I think they could go as far as to win a round. I think they they could potentially upset somebody in the second round. I'm not going to put them as genuine contenders because 
there's so many different factors leading into that health wise, but I think Memphis, especially with how crazy young they are for doing this is a good year of development and a piece away from just absolutely exploding in the West. You didn't have to do me like that much. <laughs> Desmond Bain. Desmond, dude, Desmond Bain, please go to the Celtics. Oh, it's so painful that those back-to-back drafts really, it just, any like love I had for Danny Ainge kind of went down the toilet. It's <laughs> like brought us a title. So it's cool. But like, man, it was so bad. But, um, yeah, I think, damn, I kind of went and lost my train of thought for a second. <laughs> Just the anger at Danny Ainge. Yeah, but uh, no, the Grizzlies, I think even without making a move, like they could keep this roster. And I, I'm i kind of at the point where I'm expecting them to win around because with the way the Jazz are playing, the gap that the, the Grizzlies have gained on the Jazz for the three seed, I expect them to lock in that three seed. And then we're looking at the Mavericks, maybe the Nuggets. But here's the thing. It's the Nuggets if they're probably not playing well, like if Jamal doesn't come back full force. Like if, if the Nuggets are actually going to be like a threat, they probably won't be the six seed. So it's looking like the Mavericks, maybe the Lakers, God forbid, if they, who knows, uh, maybe the Timberwolves. Like I, I honestly expect them to win around. I wouldn't be surprised if they they push the Warriors. I, I'm not going to pick them to beat the Warriors, but um, – It'll be a fun matchup, especially just, just to watch the pacing go out there. But I like, I like what you were talking about there for a bit because we do this song and dance every year where, where somebody in the West, maybe no, we're just going to say Donovan Mitchell this time, where he and his co-star are disgruntled and one of them wants to leave. And the Knicks are always in that stupid conversation because of their city. And I don't mean to say that. I mean to say this in the nicest way possible. Donovan Mitchell going to the Knicks would be so, so stupid, so incredibly stupid, if not for the fact that what does that team even look like for training for Donovan? I don't even know, man. Yeah, what's left of that team. Right? Like, 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 why is that even like a suggestion? Like Stephen A. Smith, dude, you're such a great personality. Nobody wants to go to the, the, the Knicks for the sake of them being the Knicks anymore. Right. That's just not what the selling point is. Yeah, and, and the idea that like he has ties there because he's like from the area, I don't really think that's compelling him to. I don't know. Let me just give up everything that we got going on in Utah yeah. right now to go see I, how the Knicks are doing. I was born close to where the Knicks play. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't think that the Jazz are contending for a title. Like, I just don't think that the team's good enough. Like from perimeter defense. And now losing Joe Ingles, we'll see how big of an impact it is. He hasn't been great this year. He's big. Like, I do feel like he's important just, like, being who he is. Like, the same way that everyone says, like, Marcus Smart is, like, so important for the Celtics. Like, I feel like Joe Ingles is that for the Jazz. So we'll see what, like, not having his presence does to the team. Um, But even even with him, like, they just – they have the number one offense, but that perimeter defense, like, is just never going to hold up. So I don't really think that they're competing for a title. But like you said, if he's going to go to the Knicks, if he's going to go to – like some other big market, like what's left of that team if they, yeah. treat, you know, because he just signed his deal. He has the max extension. He's not, you know, we're not waiting out free agency here. So, yeah, the idea that he's going to leave, despite like, I don't think this is the greatest situation for him because I do think he's a guy that could be like contending for titles, but the Jazz just aren't constructed for it. But I don't think, you know, him getting traded to the Knicks is the answer. I think Utah's in a weird spot for their market and who they've got to build around. They're a relatively 
I'm not going to call them asset less, but they don't have a lot of guys that they can just move for immediate upgrades without attaching picks to like as, as messed up as this is, they might even use Ingles contract as like a salary matcher come the trade deadline just for like an expiring. Yeah. I think any, any hopes that they had of like combining Ingles and a pick for like Jamie Grant or something like that. I don't really think that the odds of that happening are that much lower because a team like the Pistons, like they aren't interested in Joe Ingles. You know, they wanted to yeah. pick. So and what I, they're interested in is an expiring contract that they can just exactly. do whatever with at this point. Yeah. Like they weren't interested in what Ingles was going to give them on the court. So I still think they can make that type of deal. Although I, I do think that if, like for Jamie Grant example, there's going to be better offers out there than Joe Ingles' salary and like a late first. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have a ton. because Yeah, especially for how good of a team they are because they're a team that you think of like has a lot of depth, has a lot of solid guys but not a lot in the trade market because they do still owe picks because of trading for Conley. They don't have all their picks. Yeah. So yeah, there's just a whole lot. Of- Utah has a very defined architect and, you know, hierarchy, but then as soon as you go down the line, their depth doesn't dangle trade bait. Their depth is depth for Utah. It's not a lot of teams aren't going to look at them and be like, Oh, Eric Vishal. Yeah. I'll totally throw a first rounder at that guy. It's like, no, those, those, they're rotation players for Utah. They're not guys that they're, they're going to have to be buyers if they think that they have a contention window. Mm-hmm. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. I personally don't see it. Um, but they're also going to have to reel in on, do you really want to gut what you currently have going? And like, you can't trade Jordan Clarkson and he'd be the guy that'd be worth the most on the market. Yeah, that's so what do you even do past that point? Do you hope that you can just bring in a young guy, potentially get somebody off the buyout market and hope for the best? Like there's no immediate move that I see that alleviates Utah's problems. Mm -hmm. And with turmoil growing, I don't think there's a move long-term that really sets them up on the big stage. Yeah. I do think, I think like if they can get it's, I mean, I don't know if one would do it, they just need guys who are better than Royce O'Neal on defense. Like he cannot be the primary stopper. So I like Royce O'Neal. He's good on defense for sure, but he cannot be the team's like premier perimeter guy. I do think if they were able to like, whether it's like over the next couple of years, using like some mid-levels or maybe turning Joe Ingles in a pick into somebody, just supplement the roster with a couple more wings that can hold their own on defense. And I do think that the combination of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert can compete with the best teams in the West. Like I think Donovan Mitchell what he does in the playoffs, like he's one of those rare guys that takes his game to a new level in a playoff setting. And the baseline of what Gobert's defense give you, like I, I think they can compete with the best teams in the West, but they just don't have the perimeter defense to let Gobert be who he's supposed to be. The thing that irks me the most is that if, if Gobert had even the slightest of an interior package, they would be such a force. It's just the problem that if it's outside of four feet, you know, it's just going to be a hook and you know, nothing else is coming. The spot up game doesn't exist. And Mitchell is keenly aware of that because he's gotten way better in the pick and roll and he's gotten better at deliveries like that. But at some point you got to think, man, what would a, like a really good stretch for do for them? What would a combo guard who can not just initiate the offense, but run the pick and roll with him? Because I love Conley. Truly. I do. He's steady. He's there is he really a championship caliber guy next to Mitchell? If that's your secondary punch for the offense, I don't know because as, as much as Gobert is 
in the lightest sense of the term, the second part of that star duo on offense, he's not right. on offense. You lean more on Conley and Clarkson. And does that get it done in a seven game series against most of the other teams, a, a healthy Denver team absolutely thwacks you like Jamal will no offense, eat you alive when he's back. So I, I don't know. And, and Jokic, let's not even get started on the Gobert Jokic matchup. Oh, man. There, <laughs> there is just so much to be had there where I love, I love the confidence that Gobert has coming into matchups, but yeah, cool. I've been actually like playing a good game. I guess I'm like Jokic or two different things. Um, but a lot of like, yeah, there's nothing and there's nothing anyone's doing against Jokic, but for someone who is a three straight defense player that you're winning, you'd like to see maybe a little bit more in that one on one. Um, but in terms of like like the Clippers of the world and the five out teams of the world, if Rudy Gobert could just you know post up Nick Batum consistently, or like dominate the offensive glass when there's only six foot eight dudes out there, then a lot of this would be alleviated too. Uh, but you know, I guess you can only expect so much. Yeah, like I don't mean to be a stickler, and I know this is a bad example because Scotty Barnes is a is a great rookie and defensively he's very sound. But if you're Rudy Gobert, you you cannot have problems backing down rookies and hitting little hooks over them, little dump offs, because that just sets the precedent going forward. Like what happens when you're actually matched up against Bam or Cat or Embiid or Giannis or even God, for the sake of argument, what happens when you get into the position where you're like, okay, I really got this. And then Jared Allen's there. Like even that's a guy that would cause you problems. And as much as, everybody talks about like top centers in the league because you got to go by the whole skill set. And, and yes, yes. Rim protection is one of the most valuable things period. But when, if that's your strength and your only strength, I don't know, man, things get a little muddy come playoff time. Right. Yeah. There's a big distinction between how important rim protection is versus like a player who only does that, how valuable they are. Yeah. I don't even know how we, Started talking about the jazz. I don't even know how, <laughs> but uh, I think we got to end this recording so that when people see the time on it, they actually want to listen. Pretty sure we've been going for about an hour now, uh, but this has been really fun, man. This this has been a blast. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, and- no, thank you for having me. I'm glad that I was able to actually make one. Absolutely. Anything that you want to plug? Like any. I know you got an Instagram page. Where you- <laughs> yeah, uh, I do run a page called Hoops Dissection. I'm very inconsistent in uploading. That's not a generalized thing for me, but it's I'm trying to do something a little new. So if you like the idea of film followed by background music, followed by just a voiceover that doesn't really talk about anything aside from what you're seeing, check it out. Otherwise, check out Hoop Journal. He gives a lot more in-depth stuff and his graphics are way more up to par than what your normal page is. He's pumping out 40K kind of content and he's as small as he is now. So go check him out too. Even though you're listening to his podcast, I think there's a little more um, love from that side. I appreciate it, man. Uh, basically I would say if you guys know who Jay Kyle Mann is at the ringer and you like him, you'll love Mitch because that's like, whenever I watch Mitch's videos, his videos, it's fantastic, dude. I could listen to you talk about basketball all day. As weird as that sounds. Uh, I, I really like your videos though. Alrighty, man. Well, thank yeah. you so much for having me. This was fantastic and I cannot Absolutely. wait for the next. For sure. Yeah. You'll definitely be on another one soon. Uh, but yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you to everyone who listened. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, all that good stuff. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good day.